Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, everybody. It's Drags. It's Wednesday, January 22nd. Time for episode 334 of Patriots Beat on the CLNS Media Network. Find us at clnsmedia.com. Follow us on Twitter in the off-season throughout what should be a very busy off-season for the New England Patriots at Patriots CLNS. Welcoming back Alex Barth of CLNS Media. Find him on Twitter at Real Alex Barth. All one word, no underscores, no nothing. Real Alex Barth. Alex, I'm really tired of reading Twitter and all the reactions of Patriot fans bitter about Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs making the Super Bowl, Jimmy G making the Super Bowl. If it's not the Pats fans, they'll find something wrong and bitter. I get that. But, you know, yes, Mahomes' girlfriend, Brittany, is completely insufferable, uh, like as insufferable as it gets. But she doesn't make me hate Pat Mahomes. It She just doesn't. Yeah, I mean, I it, it, like kind of like you said, I've sort of avoided that whole narrative. I just think it's unnecessary. If you want to have any hatred for Patrick Mahomes, I know this is hatred, but I guess Patriots fans for the first time are feeling what everybody felt about Tom Brady for a long time, that this guy's been so dominant, you don't really know how to react. Because at some point or another, he's embarrassed your team. So there's definitely bad blood there. But, you know, this is the first of what will probably be a couple Super Bowls for Patrick Mahomes. And you have a guy with such immense talent playing at an incredibly high level right now, going up against an elite defense on the biggest stage. Yeah, you know, there's not much more you can ask for from that in terms of an entertainment value and in terms of stakes. So, yeah, he's definitely a fun guy to root against. But it, it's going to be an interesting one on Sunday. I think that we're in for a treat of a football game. And I, I said to some people yesterday, once the Patriots are out, that's really all I wanted. It's a fun football game, and I, I think we got one. Packers-Chiefs might have been more entertaining, Rodgers versus, versus Mahomes. But after seeing Rodgers yesterday, I'm not sure he would have lived up to that to that shootout. So uh, I think I, I think ultimately we got a pretty good game. And just let my home sister be. His brother, too, is obnoxious. But it is what it is. We, even if we haven't noticed it, we've probably had those kind of people, you know, supporting the Patriots throughout the years that we in New England were oblivious to and the rest of the country hated. So, you know, it is what it is. You know what I'm saying, though. I mean, his girlfriend is just so annoying. No, she, she is the obnoxious best friend from every romantic comedy. <laughs> like that, that that's what she is and every, everybody everybody you know knew that girl growing up or in college and tried to put as much space between them and her as possible when you went out on a friday or saturday night let it be whatever i i i can't and you know me i can get fired up about just about anything yeah you can i can't get fired i really can't get fired up about patrick mahomes girlfriend i i couldn't care less well I, it's not so much patrick mahomes girlfriend it's patriot fans reacting to anything about the Chiefs and anything about Patrick Mahomes. You know, because you hear how insufferable the the Chiefs team is and how unlikable they are. Well, like you said a little while earlier, I mean, I think Patriot fans are getting a little bit a dose of their own medicine, no? 
So here's what I would say to Patriots fans. We're kind of at a cross. We speaking as somebody who's been a fan my whole life, and I, I know separate the fan and the journalist, but we're going down this road. I think that we're at a crossroads here in that, you know, the, the dominant, maybe Brady comes back and they make another run next year, and that, that's very possible. But we, we're, we're, we're about at the end, okay? This is, we have entered the final decade in which Tom Brady will play in the NFL. I will eat an entire football if Tom Brady's playing in the NFL in the year 2030. Laces and all. You can, you can quote me on that. Yeah, he but we're, we're coming to the end. Right, we're coming to the end of this thing here. So we can come to a crossroads. We can continue to support our team while simultaneously appreciating good times, right? They're not mutually exclusive. You can't continue to root. Like, you don't have to continue to root for the Patriots and ignore everything that happened with Brady and Belichick, but it's also unfair to compare whatever happens with the Patriots to the Brady-Belichick era. The poor quarterback that follows Tom Brady is going to undergo such harsh criticism that he does not deserve. The first, I, and we're going to hear it early. We're going to hear it often. Well, you know, they would have, Tom Brady would have done this. Tom Brady would have done that. And it's going to come from all the people bashing Tom Brady right now. But that's going to be a narrative. The two are not mutually exclusive. You can both appreciate what happened and root for the Patriots in their current form. But what Patriots fans cannot become, and I am dreading this, because there's going to be a group of people that do this. And my mission is going to make it the smallest group possible. I do not want Patriots fans to become Yankee fans spouting off 27 rings. Uh, I think you're a little bit too late for that. I think you might be a little bit too late for that. I think they've already gone over that cliff. But, you know, they don't. I think think people can be converted. And, like, like, look, the Patriots are a great dynasty. They are the great dynasty. The Patriots that stands right now are the most dominant franchise in NFL history based on their 20-year run. But – what Patriots fans need to understand is Patrick Mahomes winning one Super Bowl does not undo any of what Brady and the Patriots accomplished. Of course even not. Even if there are people who are going to try to form that as the narrative. The Chiefs can win the Super Bowl. Garoppolo can win a Super Bowl, too. That factors into this as well. Either one of those guys can win the Super Bowl. The Patriots are still the most dominant franchise in NFL history. Tom Brady is still the greatest quarterback in NFL history. Those guys winning next Sunday, does not undo any of that. Let's not become 27 rings. Let's not, you know, start stumping for players who don't deserve to be stumped for. The page, it is not the time to become insecure Patriots fans. Now is not the time for that. Now is the time to be as confident as ever is. Look at what we accomplished. It was great. You know, you're one Super Bowl. I don't need to remind you the Patriots have six. I shouldn't need to remind you the Patriots have done that. We are comfortable in knowing we are the greatest franchise in NFL history, knowing we rooted for the greatest franchise in NFL history. You know, whatever you say, Chiefs fans, Niners fans, whatever, whatever you say, it's not even worth me responding. That's, that needs to be the mentality. Don't get baited into this whole battle because you're just going to turn into obnoxious Yankees. All right, speaking with Alex Barth of CLNS Media, follow him on Twitter, at RealAlexBarth, all one word. Jason Lockamfora of uh, CBS Sports reported this on Monday, Alex, and I'll read it to you. For the first time in his NFL career, Tom Brady is prepared to discuss a future with teams beyond the New England Patriots, sources said. And for the first time since he took over as a starter nearly two decades ago, the Patriots are unsure of who will be under center in 2020. It would be extremely surprising, Lockenfora writes, if Brady were to agree to any new pact with the Patriots prior to the start of free agency in March. And while his process could still result in a return to New England, it is far from certain at this point. 
Brady intends to take a methodical approach to his foray, his first foray into free agency as at age 42, this will be the final contract of his playing career. What is your general takeaway from that? I mean, that, that doesn't change most of what I, what I thought. He's going to hit the open market. He wants to hit the open market. The Patriots would love for him to settle early. And that's sort of his bargaining chip because I forget the exact numbers. I think it's six million default based on the way they structured the last contract and those voidable years. Here's where they come back to like the Patriots. It's about six million dollars against the cap on top of whatever Brady signs to if they agree before that March 18th deadline. If it's after March 18th, the Patriots owe Tom Brady $18 million, regardless if he's on the roster or not. Any contract he gets, the cap hit would be $18 million plus that contract. So if the Patriots plan on bringing him back, which I believe is the ideal scenario, you know, level playing field, that they would like to bring him back before the March deadline. There's Brady's leverage. If he wants the multiple years, if he wants guarantees about uh, having a say in player personnel or whatever, his leverage is you have to meet my, all of my demands if you want me back by March 18th, it's going to cost you about $10 million against the cap. That being said, here's just knowing what we know about Tom Brady, and I, I, I don't think anybody really knows what he's doing. I don't think he knows what he's doing, because like Jason Lock and said, he's been taking a methodical approach. I don't think he's made his mind up yet whether he's coming back or not. So anybody who says, you know, oh, I, I heard from Tom Brady's second-grade teacher's gardener's hairdresser right. that he wants out in New England, no, no, he hasn't told anybody. He hasn't because he doesn't know. The methodical approach part, I think, is true. Here's where I see it, knowing what we know about him. The guy wants to win. And right now, the best situation, realistically, for him to win is in New England. Given all of the factors, the best way for him to immediately come back and, and contend for two polls in New England. That being said, he wants to play until he's 45. And the ultimate competitiveness, I think, is him against himself. I think the ultimate drive for him is not him against the rest of the league. It's him against his own body to play until he's 45. The only way he can do that is if he gets a multi-year contract. The only way he does that is if he hits the open market. Now, will any team give him a multi-year contract? I'm not sure about that. The Chargers might. The Chargers, because Philip Rivers, it sounds like, is gone. They need to fill out this new stadium. The Chargers may say, all right, screw it. We'll mortgage our future. We'll give you three years. We don't really care if you're still good or not. We need to sell tickets. Short of that, I don't see the team that's giving him a multi-year deal. And then, again, that levels the playing field. If you're looking at just one-year deals across the board, it's no-brainer for him to come back to New England. So that's, that's where I think we're at with that. And you look at it, there's, it's tough because there's not much precedent. The, long, the, the closest example we have, to something like Tom Brady's impending free agency is Peyton Manning in 2013. But Peyton Manning was almost 10 years younger at that point than Tom Brady is right now. Good point. And you, you look at the, what, what happened with the Broncos, and they did win, I'm going to call it one Super Bowl, because that second Super Bowl had nothing to do with Peyton Manning. I could have quarterbacked that team in that game. Okay. That, that's, so they got one Super Bowl out of it that first time around, and their franchise, you could argue, still has not recovered, right? Ever since, and, and granted, they moved on from Tim Tebow, so they really would have been great if they made that move. I don't think so. But the point being, they, they went all out to build this massive roster, bring in a generational quarterback. They won the one Super Bowl. They were competitive for another year or two, 
and then it all went downhill and they still haven't recovered. Is an NFL team willing to completely mortgage its future? Because not only do you have to give Tom Brady a multi-year contract that is probably going to tank your cap number, you also have to bring in the pieces to convince him that by adding him to the roster, you are not just a Super Bowl contender, but a Super Bowl favorite. You remember some of the moves the Broncos made that offseason that they brought in Peyton Manning in the offseason after that and what that did to their cap number. And they were really in cap jail there for a couple of years. So you, you're talking about a team willing to completely mortgage its future for five to eight to ten years in order to get one shot at a Super Bowl with a 42-year-old Tom Brady coming off a severe elbow injury. As great as Tom Brady is, and you know there are a few Tom Brady defenders bigger than the tracks is there a team in the NFL that is willing to make that sacrifice? I say maybe the Chargers because they need to sell out that stadium. After that, I don't know. I say I the really Titans. I think the Titans make the most sense. Anybody who watched that game Sunday, I mean, I, I almost tweeted this out. You watch that game Sunday against Kansas City, and you put Tom Brady in there as opposed to Ryan Tannehill. Do you think the Titans have a much, much better chance of winning the game? I do, but are they willing to – you look at some of the other guys they're going to have to pay. Are they willing to, in the long run, sacrifice what is a promising young roster to bring in Tom Brady and the other necessary pieces in order to make that happen? Ryan Tannehill – I mean, look, Ryan Tannehill got them to that point only having played half the year. What happened – let me ask you this, because Ryan Tannehill was, was dynamic. In this, not dynamic, but he made the offense dynamic in the second half of the year. Let me flip that question for you. Let's say Ryan Tannehill starts the full year, project project their record with Ryan Tannehill over 16 games, and that game's in Nashville, not in Kansas City. Play that game out in Nashville. Do the Chiefs win the game? Yes, they do. I I, I just think simply because Patrick Mahomes is a um, – generational player, a generational talent that I think Pat Mahomes would have made the plays he made at home uh, on the road in Nashville. I definitely think that. So to me, if, if Ryan Tannehill doesn't emerge in the second half, I think the Titans make a lot of sense for Brady. I think they can pay Tannehill significantly less for what could, depending on the way his elbow heals, be about the same production in 2020 and they can keep some of these other core pieces they have. Guys like Corey Davis, who's going to need a new deal in a couple of years. Derrick Henry, who's going to need a new deal. Some of the pieces on the defensive side of the football, they can keep this young core intact in an AFC South that's pretty unstable and maybe make a run at this thing for the next half a decade. Mike Vrabel comes from the Bill Belichick school of thought, and what's Bill Belichick's approach? You make the, the move that's better for the five-year outlook than the one-year outlook. Signing Tom Brady is not the better move for the five-year outlook. It's not. So, again, if, if Belichick's going to move on from Brady and Vrabel learned everything from Belichick, why would Vrabel mortgage his team's future to make a push for Brady? Uh, that is a fair argument. Speaking with Alex Barth of CLNS Media, cars today are like computers on wheels, from electronically controlled transmissions to touchscreen displays to dozens of sensors. But all of this tech is expensive to fix if and when it breaks. That's why I have CarShield. CarShield is awesome for so many reasons. I've found it has a super easy process, saves me money on costly repairs, and has great, not good, great customer service. 
CarShield also has affordable protection plans that can save you thousands for a covered repair, including computers, GPS, electronics, and much more. You get to choose your favorite mechanic or dealership to do the work, and CarShield takes care of the rest. CarShield coverage gets you back on track in no time. They offer complimentary 24-7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed. CarShield has helped over 1 million customers, so drive with confidence knowing you have coverage from America's number one auto protection provider. Whether you have 5,000 miles or 150,000 miles on your vehicle, it's inevitable something will break. Don't wait until your check light engine comes on. Get covered by CarShield today. Call 1-800-CAR-6000. That's one 800 car 6000 and mention the code BEAT, B-E-A-T, or you can visit carshield.com and use the code BEAT, B-E-A-T, to save 10%. That's carshield.com, code BEAT, a deductible may apply. Back with Alex Barth of CLNS Media. Okay, Alex, what was your impression of the 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo beating up on um, the Green Bay Packers. My first takeaway is Jimmy Garoppolo didn't have to work that much. Yeah, it, you know, it's hard to form an impression after eight passes, right? It was a six in the first half, two in the second. He's only the second quarterback in NFL history to do that, win a conference championship game throwing eight or fewer passes. Bob Greasy did it twice in 1972 and 1970, or what would be the 1971 and 1972 seasons. But, yeah, I mean, the narrative, a lot of people are going to want to make the narrative that Garoppolo's getting the Super Bowl, and he, the Niners had this great season with him under center. But don't be fooled. This is a running football team with a great defense, and I'm not saying Garoppolo did nothing, but I'm not sure that they're necessarily not going if C.J. Beathard starts the game yesterday. It's going to be an interesting discussion, but it's kind of a league-wide thing, right? You look at what happened throughout the playoffs. The run-first teams with the – I hate this term, but I, I'll, I have to use it here – game manager quarterbacks, right? Jimmy Garoppolo. Ryan Tannehill, or, or, or let's just call it run first team. Jimmy Garoppolo with the Niners. Ryan Tannehill with with uh, the Titans. They made it deep into the, the playoffs. You look at the gunslingers, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, they got bounced. So obviously you have exceptions on each side. Lamar Jackson, a run first team, a run first quarterback that got bounced early, and Patrick Mahomes, a gunslinger who went deep. But to me, if you look at the 49ers, and if they go on and win this, if they go on and win this thing, right, there are moments where you just know the NFL is going to change. You knew in 03, based on the way the Patriots defense played, that the NFL was going to have to make changes. You knew after the Broncos in 2013 that there were going to be changes made around the league to emulate that offense. You say the 07 Patriots and the 13 Broncos. If the Niners go on and win this thing, with the success they had, paired with the success a team like the Titans had, and the success a team like the Ravens had, you're about to see the game of football, I think, step back into a more run-focused offense sort of orientation. I love that, by the way. Oh, and I I do too. I'm total, bring bring back the 250-pound power backs running between the tackles 25 times a game, right? Bring me back to the age of guys like, you know, I'm I'm trying to go back to it. Like, Amon Green is just one name that comes to mind. Again, wasn't great. A better example would be Sean Alexander. Bring me back to the days of guys like Sean Alexander. Bring me back to the days of guys like Stephen Davis or the Carolina Panthers. You could see that because the reality is, unless you have this elite gunslinger, this Patrick Mahomes, unless you have that guy on the roster, 
you can't build that kind of offense. And teams have been trying to do that. Pretty much since the Peyton Manning Broncos in 2013, teams have been trying to find all these downfield speed threats, pair them with a quarterback with a big arm, and, and try to replicate that offense. But the reality is, for every Patrick Mahomes, you get 10 guys like a Josh Allen, who isn't necessarily bad, but you're not putting up those numbers. So what I think you're going to see here, if the Niners are successful, and it's a copycat league, right? How often do we hear that? Is teams not so much looking for that next gunslinger quarterback, unless they're really confident it's the guy. Unless you're the Cincinnati Bengals, you have the first overall pick, and there's a guy like Joe Burrow on the board. Instead of taking a chance on a guy like uh, Jacob Eason or a guy like a Jake Fromm, are teams going to be more willing to maybe draft an elite offensive lineman in the first round, invest more in a running back, and try to go back to that power running football because the reality is you can win that way without an elite quarterback. And there's more high-level running backs and offensive linemen than there are quarterbacks. So I think the 49ers, based on what they did yesterday against the gunslinging team and the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers, based on what they did yesterday, if they can beat another gunslinging team here ahead in the Kansas City Chiefs, they are on the precipice of potentially changing the way offensive football is designed in the NFL, which, again, I, there's nothing better than like watching an elite quarterback tear apart a defense. That's a lot of fun. But, again, is it worth watching that a couple times a year to see Josh Allen come out and throw four picks five, six Sundays in the fall? It's not. Bring me back power football. Bring it back. You also have defenses getting smaller to compensate for these speed offenses. So it's the natural evolution. It's due. But the Niners could be the team that makes that happen, and that's going to be the irony to go back to the Jimmy Garoppolo take. Everybody's going to be talking about Garoppolo, Garoppolo, Garoppolo if he wins the Super Bowl and did the Patriots make a mistake. He could win a Super Bowl on a team that ushers the age of the run game back into the NFL. I absolutely think that. And, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo didn't have to make many clutch passes on Sunday, and that's, you know, Good for Kyle Shanahan because, you know, Kyle Shanahan has been up and down the last several years. I mean, obviously he was on the, he was the OC for the Atlanta Falcons that, uh, <laughs> blew that, uh, 28 to 3 lead and, uh, couldn't manage to get the single field goal in the fourth quarter, uh, that would have essentially salted Super Bowl 51 away. I mean, he's been down that path. He's rebuilt the 49ers, give John Lynch a lot of credit, um, but now I think Kyle Shanahan, uh, you know, we had Evan Lazar on last week and several guys said this, uh, during the broadcast yesterday, including, uh, Jimmy Johnson at halftime, uh, Troy Aikman several times during the Fox broadcast. Nobody schemes better than Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. His issue has more been managing the game itself. Obviously you go back to 28 three and throwing the ball late in that game. And I saw this as a joke, but I think there's actually some legitimacy to it. The real element of leveling the playing field in this game is Andy Reid and Kyle Shanahan are both not good at managing the clock and managing situations. Which could but be hilarious. Again, of, right. The guy on the other sideline is the same way, which, which really evens things out. Because for both those coaches going in, right, let's say they're going, let's say the Chiefs are going in against the Packers. You're talking about, you know, will Andy Reid screw up and give Aaron Rodgers time to lead, lead a two-minute drill or whatever. And if it's Kyle Shanahan going in against – um, pardon me, the Titans, you talk about him mismanaging the clock, and Mike Vrabel is as good as anybody in managing the clock, and you talk about that as maybe the biggest advantage for the Titans, is being able to handle the clock with Derrick Henry. But because it's Andy Reid versus Kyle Shanahan, 
it kind of goes both ways. So that to me, you know, I, I coaching in the Super Bowl is so, so massive. When you go through, and I've, I've been doing this, and obviously I, I, have, I have more to my process now, but I remember when I was in, in middle school and high school, the first thing I would do when I went to class the Monday after the championship games, whether the Patriots were playing in the Super Bowl or not, is I would make this sort of decision tree about who I was going to pick in the Super Bowl and, and, and list things, and coaching was always at the top of that. And, and who had the advantage coaching-wise? And this is as much of a wash as I can remember. In, in terms of that element, Andy Reid is a great coach coaching at the top of his game, but Kyle Shanahan is doing things that nobody can really figure out because the NFL hasn't seen them in about 15 years. So that is the most fascinating element of this game to me is the coaching matchup. Chatting up Alex Barth of CLNS Media covering the NFL and the Patriots. Still more than a week out before the big game, but you can still get in on a ton for wagering action. How long will the national anthem go? Will there be a wardrobe malfunction? How many yards will Patrick Mahomes throw for? There are literally hundreds of props to bet on before the game even starts. Head on over to betonline.ag and use our promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit and get in on everything about the big game. Bring the playoffs home with our exclusive sportsbook partner, Bet Online. What have you been doing the last couple of weeks after the Patriots uh, went out? I've been getting ready for the XFL, i got to tell you. No, so what I, do you, no, I, no, 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 okay, okay, you throw that out there. And I know you, well, go ahead, finish your thought, and I want to get back to that. You know what? It's been weird. It didn't really hit me until last night to like, okay, they're out. Like the Patriots are out. It just sort of felt like bye weeks. But, um, you know, I, I've been following along a little bit. I, uh, I, I mean, I've locked back in with the Celtics and Bruins because obviously I, I try to follow that as close as I can during the season. But the way we cover the Patriots, that has to go on the back burner to an extent. So got caught back up with that and caught up on my sleep, um, caught up on my other jobs. You know, I, I work a couple other jobs, so uh, a lot of that. But um, And I'm just, you know, I've been thinking about it and just kind of reflecting and, and appreciating what we got to watch and, and how lucky we are to watch it. The last time there was a championship weekend that the Patriots weren't in, I was a junior in high school. So to get to go, you know, you could argue the prime ages to watch sports are like 16 to 22, right? So that entire time, the Patriots were at the very least playing for a chance to get in the Super Bowl every year. So... I really I went back yesterday morning because it was a three thirty game, right? I went back yesterday morning and watched the snowball pretty much all the way through. It's on YouTube, and I just I just kind of you know, like what we said all year when people were jumping to to talk about Brady's end in New England and and wanted to be the first ones to call it, and me and Evan said all year like that's a discussion and and it's certainly worth having at some point, but let's just enjoy right now with maybe the end of it, and I I just kind of enjoyed it. That's that's really kind of what my mindset's been. All right. What about the XFL? So I'm, I'm, I am kind of excited for the XFL. I wasn't, I thought the AAF had a better chance to succeed just because it was some NFL backing. It was more grounded. XFL just has this connotation based on the first iteration of it that it's not serious football and it's more like professional wrestling, but they've done a good job. I think of harnessing the positive elements of that early XFL and kind of shaking off the whole Vince McMahon stigma around it. When the new rules came out, I got very excited. I, they have some rule changes that are going to make it really fun. These are going to be high-scoring football games, very fast-paced. A lot of, They're building it up so it's a lot of big plays. You know, we just talked about kind of the NFL 
maybe shifting to more of this ground and pound format, that is not going to be the case in the XFL. You're going to see uh, the rules encourage trick plays. They encourage kick returns and punt returns. And I think we could be looking at a situation where there could be multiple kick or punt return touchdowns a game based on some of the rules. The, the, the way the clock works is very interesting. There's a huge emphasis on the two-minute drill. The two-minute drill is kind of the gem of the whole week. That is how they want to capture people. So I'm excited. The quality of play, we'll see. They do have a couple of interesting names the AAF wasn't able to get. They have some more quarterbacks. They have Sean Oakman, who is a very interesting story. And whether you think he deserves to play in this league or not, that's a fair criticism. But the guy was going to be a top-five draft guy out of Baylor. He was. And if, if you don't remember who Sean Oakman is. I was going to say, please league. refresh us. So Sean Oakman played for Baylor in uh, 2015. I forget if he was there with RG3 or right after. I think it was after. But dominant defensive end. And he actually became a social media sensation at Cotton Bowl that year. It was a picture of him at the coin toss. And he was one of those guys. He had the full cage face mask, the dark visor, the jersey rolled up, and he was like a 12-pack going on. The guy's massive. And there was a meme that was basically like, you do whatever Sean Oakman says. So if you Google Sean Oakman, you'll see that picture. You'll remember who he is. But he, uh, he had some issues. He was basically at the center of the whole Baylor sex scandal, sexual assault scandal. And he ended up getting acquitted for most of it. But that was all after that. He didn't get drafted because he was in and out of court. It looks like he was going to prison for a long time. He ends up getting acquitted under somewhat questionable circumstances. And again, if you want to debate whether or not he deserves to play football again, that like, I understand that's a debate, but the reality is he'll be in this league. But he was an absolute dominant talent. He went and played semi-pro football for a while. He was in the arena leagues. I think he played half a season in China or Japan or something, but he's back. This is the highest level football he's played since college. And he is, you know, I didn't watch him in, in Japanese arena football, obviously, but even if he's 80% of the guy he was at Baylor, he is by a lot the most talented player in this league. So that will be interesting to watch. And then, there's, you know, having watched the AAF, there's some players who I thought in the AAF were pretty good, were NFL-worthy, and some of them were in camps and even on NFL rosters sporadically this season. But, you know, it'll be nice to see some of those names again, guys like um, Rashad Ross, who had a cup of coffee with the Panthers this year. He's a wide receiver, absolute burner. He is, I think, playing for New York in the XFL, I believe, um, you know, there, there's, there's names that NFL fans will remember certainly in this league uh, and college football fans will definitely remember. So it's going to be interesting. I'm going to watch it. I don't know how long it's going to last. I think it'll be like the XFL where they get partway in the season and fold, but you know, it's, it's football in February. It's football in, in mid to late February and into March and into April. And it'll take us right up to the draft. So you can't hate that. People will make fun of it, but at the end of the day, people are going to watch because I'd rather watch football than any other sport any day of the week. So um, it'll be pretty good. You'll, if, if you know, I'll, I'll be sharing my thoughts on it. I'll be vocal about it. So if, if it's the kind of thing you're interested in. Where does Tua land? That is a good question. Um, I'm going to cop out of this question and say that. Oh, I come on. Nor, let, me, let, me, let me give you my cop out answer. I haven't seen, nor would I understand the results of his surgery. I haven't seen the medical chart. NFL teams will get to see that. And that's going to dictate it. If he's fine, he could go as high as two. Washington may decide, you know what? We used a first-round pick with Dwayne Haskins, but, you know, that's not Ron Rivera's guy. They got a new coach. 
they may do what the Cardinals did last year with Josh Rosen and say, we think this is the guy. We're going to trade Dwayne Haskins, get back where we can, and we're going to move forward with Tua. Um, if they're bad, if the medicals are bad and, and his hip is going to be a problem, he could go on day two. So it, he has the talent to be the second overall pick in the draft. If he is 100% healthy, Washington should trade Dwayne Haskins. If not, uh, Washington should trade that second pick to somebody who wants a quarterback because they'll get a haul for it. Miami so Dolphins. He should go to he's, right. He should go to if he's fully healthy. If he's not, again, it's a pretty serious hip injury he suffered. And it's the, it's the Bo Jackson injury. Now, medical science has advanced a lot since Bo Jackson's injury, so I'm not saying it's a career ender, but, again, I haven't seen the chart. I don't know. Are you taking a risk? Is he a guy that, you know, with one bad hit, his career could be over? If that's the case, you shouldn't use a first-round pick on him. Or even beyond that, if he's not going to be healthy for a full year, you can't draft him if you're the Miami Dolphins. You need a win right now. You can't have another year of what you just had. So that's where, okay, a team like the Patriots in the late 20s, if they know Tom Brady's coming back, yeah, you get one more year of Tom Brady, and then you go to two, and that's a perfect situation. So, again, I have to cop out of the question, but it's, it's impossible to answer that until we know, and I'm sure things will leak during the combine and whatever, but until – we know, and we may never know until the draft. Until we, we truly know what's going on with his hip situation, um, it's impossible to say. I will tell you that a uh, buddy of mine, TJ Horgan, is a reporter for the NBC affiliate in Honolulu, and he was at an event this weekend, and Tua was there. And he did tell me Tua was moving around pretty well, and he looked like, you know, physically he, he was okay. There's a difference between walking around a benefit dinner and playing an NFL game, but – you know, it's some information for what it's worth. It's some information. I appreciate that, uh, Alex. Um, I appreciate you coming on the podcast as well, taking time out. And um, what are you going to be doing in the coming weeks? Just uh, following uh, Celtics Bruins and all of that? Yeah, we'll see. I, I, I'm, I'm hoping to get back on some CNO coverage, CLNS coverage. i got to catch up. You know, we put so much to the side for the football season, my car is a thousand miles over an oil change right now. Things like that. We put so much to the side that we got to deal with that. I got to kind of catch up on my life. Well, that football season's over, but I'll be, I'll be back around to it. I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. That is good to hear. I want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast. Thank our terrific guest, Alex Barth, for putting his car worries aside and joining me on the podcast. Also follow him on Twitter at Real Alex Barth, all one word. Also want to thank our terrific sponsors, CarShield and BetOnline.ag. For executive producer Michael Angi and the founder of the network, Nick Gelso, this is Mike Petralia, and this has been the Patriots Beat Podcast, powered by CLNS Media. Hello, I'm Dan Lothian, host of the Behind the Media Podcast on the CLNS Media Network. Along with Jimmy Young, we dive into the biggest media headlines each week with honest, informed, and sometimes irreverent perspectives. It's not all serious. We deliver information and entertainment. As we like to say on Behind the Media, we find the interesting in media so you don't have to go searching for it. Listen to our podcast and get prepped for the next trip to the water cooler. Subscribe to Behind the Media wherever you get your podcast or find us on www.clnsmedia.com.